You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. As you can tell, today we are jumping back into 1 Corinthians. Remember 1 Corinthians? That was so 2022. Uh, we got halfway through 1 Corinthians in the fall, then we took a little break for Advent, and we're gonna do the second half of 1 Corinthians this spring, and we're gonna finish up the week after Easter. Uh, if you remember, the church at Corinth uh, was sort of a problem church. It was a total mess, really. And, and most of the problems in the Corinthian church were stemming from the fact that they had gotten way too comfortable in the culture. Uh, around them, and that was showing up in all kinds of ways. Secular wisdom was creeping into the church. Cultural values were creeping into the church, and it showed up all, in all sorts of ways. It, it showed up in, their, in how they viewed success and how they viewed status. It showed up in their tendency to form factions and divisions. It showed up in their sexual ethics. It, it showed up in how they treated food sacrificed to idols. It showed up in their worship practices. The church was supposed to be this countercultural community that was rubbing off on the culture around them, but they had gotten so culturally comfortable that they just ended up looking like everybody else in town. There was no real distinction uh, between them. Uh, today's passage mentions two things that would have really resonated in the Corinthian culture it mentions freedom and winning. Being free and being first. Paul talks about freedom in verse 19. He says, I am free from all. And the Corinthians would have been like, amen, brother. <laughs> Live into that freedom. He mentions winning six times. Verse 19, that I might win. Verse 20, in order to win. Verse 20, that I might win. Verse 21, that I might win. Verse 22, that I might win. Verse 24, run in such a way that you might Win, obtain the prize. And the Corinthians would have been like, yes, preach it. We love being on the winning team. As Americans, we're not so different, are we? We love freedom and we love winning. America is called the land of the free. And we generally believe that we are free to do whatever we want as long as we don't harm anyone else. We would value our individual freedoms almost more than anything, wouldn't we? And we love to win. We love to win. My team lost their bowl game, and it took me a few days to get over that. It really did. I was bothered by it, because I want to win. And you want to win. Even if you're not a sports fan, you want to win somewhere, don't you? You want to win in the classroom. You want to win in the stock market. You want to win in your career. You want to win an argument. We love winning. Paul wants to win too, just not in the way the Corinthians think, just not in the way we might think. And he very much cares about freedom. But he says our freedom in Christ doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want to do, just thinking of ourselves. If you remember where we are in the letter, uh, this section of 1 Corinthians, chapters 8, 9, and 10, this whole section, we're right in the middle of it, has to do with the question of whether it's okay for Christians to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Here's what was going on in Corinth. In Corinth, there was temples to idols, to false gods everywhere. And the practice of the Corinthians, it was just way of life in Corinth, was to go to these temples and sacrifice to these 
idols to these gods because the belief was if I offer, make an offering to the gods, the God will bless me. The gods will prosper me. And so the question was, if you're a Christian, is it okay to eat meat that's been offered to an idol? And some, some Corinthians had decided, yes, it is. It's okay for me to participate in that because I'm not worshiping the idol. I worship Jesus. So I'm free in Christ to do whatever I want. Uh, and I only need to think about myself and how it affects me. I only need to think about number one, me. And Paul says, no, Christ has set us free to have a new number one in our life. He set us free to put something besides ourselves first. He set us free to live for something greater than ourselves. And in chapter nine, he's sharing how that works itself out in his own life. See, Paul is free, of, of all people, Paul is free in Christ. He says it in verse one of chapter nine because he's an apostle of Jesus. But he doesn't use his freedom to serve himself. He uses his freedom to advance the gospel. That's what he's living for. Like he wants the gospel to win. He wants the gospel to triumph, to reach more and more people because he wants more and more people to come to know his Jesus, right? This Jesus who's changed his life. This Jesus who's incomparable, beautiful beyond description. Paul uses his freedom to advance the gospel. That's the big idea of the text before us today. You see it right there in the middle of the passage. Verse 23 gives us our big idea. Verse 23 says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. In other words, I do all things, everything I do is for the sake of the gospel. That's what I'm living for. I'm using whatever freedom I have to help the gospel win. And Paul wants the Corinthians to follow his example. And he wants us to follow his example. In other words, we should use our freedom in Christ to advance the gospel. We should use our freedom in Christ to advance the gospel. And Paul gives us two things from his own life here to help us know how to do it. First, he gives us a method, then he gives us a mindset. A method and a mindset. Those are the only two things I want us to look at today. Let's look first at the method. Look at verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, there's some Bibles there, there's some black Bibles there in the pew, uh, and it's uh, on page 900 page 900 in those Bibles. Let's look at the method. You see it there in verses 19 through 22 of 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 19, Paul says, for though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God myself, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that, I, that by all means I might save some. So his goal in these verses uh, is to win people to Jesus. I think that's pretty clear. He says win five times here. His goal is to bring as many people as possible to a saving faith, saving knowledge of Jesus. That's what Paul is living for. That's his passion in life. But what's his method? 
Like, how does he go about it? What, how does he do it? There's a pastor named David Strain who says that, that Paul has a strategy of faithful flexibility. I really like that. Faithful flexibility. I think it's a helpful way to think about Paul's method or his strategy. Faithful flexibility. Paul is extremely flexible and adaptable in his behavior, in his words, in his preferences, while remaining completely faithful to Jesus and completely faithful to the gospel message. Faithful flexibility. You see it there captured in verse 19 in, in sort of a nutshell. Look at verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all. Why is he free from all? Well, because Jesus is his master. Jesus is his Lord, uh, not other people, right? Jesus is the one he's accountable to. So the opinions and the demands and the desires of other people don't ultimately determine his lifestyle or his message. Jesus does. That's faithfulness. But continuing in verse 19, he says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So he's saying, I've made a conscious choice to lower myself, like to humble myself, to become a servant to everyone, to, to submit myself, to willingly adapt my life for the, go uh, the gospel good of others. That's flexibility, faithful flexibility. Jesus is my Lord, so I'm faithful to him, which frees me to adapt to others, to serve them in all sorts of ways for their good and for God's glory. And in verses 20 through 22, Paul gives some examples of what this looks like in his own life. He talks about three types of people that he interacted with in Corinth. He talks about Jews, he talks about Gentiles, and he talks about this group he calls the weak. Look at what he says in verse 20 about how he relates to Jewish people. Verse 20, he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Then he says, to those under the law, this is also talking about the Jewish people because they were under the Mosaic law. That's the context in which they did life. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Now, it's funny that, that Paul says he became as a Jew because he was in fact a Jew, right? He was ethnically Jewish. In Philippians chapter three, he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was raised under the Mosaic law. He was trained as a Pharisee in the Mosaic law. So what does it, if he's a Jew under the law himself, that's how he grew up. What does it mean to become as a Jew for him? Well, it means that when he was with Jewish people, he adapted his words and his practices so as to not unnecessarily offend in, in any way. Like he knew how a Jewish person thought. He understood their customs. He understood their values and he acted accordingly. That's flexibility. But verse 20 has this parentheses. Did you notice that? It's an important one. Look at it. Verse 20. He says, I became as one under the law. Parentheses. Though not being myself under the law. What does he mean by that? Well, he means I no longer rely on the law, keeping the law for my righteousness. Why? Because I believe the gospel. Jesus is my righteousness, right? Jesus fulfilled the law for me, so now I'm under Jesus. I'm not under the law. That's faithfulness to a new master, Jesus. What about how he relates to the Gentiles? Look at verse 21. He says, to those outside the law, the Gentiles, 
I became as one outside the law that I might win them. Now, when he was with the Gentiles, he at times would adapt his words to better reach them because the Gentiles didn't have a background in the scriptures. They didn't grow up learning all this stuff. And so he would speak to them in ways that didn't depend on understanding religious jargon or stories that they had never heard before. But he also adapted his practices. He would fellowship with them around the table, which was unheard of for a Jewish man to do. He would eat what they ate because he no longer was beholden to the Jewish kosher food laws. That's flexibility, flexibility. But there's another important parenthesis in verse 21. Did you see it? Verse 21 says, I became as one outside the law, parentheses, not being outside the law of God myself, but under the law of Christ. In other words, even though I'm living as if outside the law, I'm not lawless. I, I don't just get to do whatever I want to do. Paul is not living by the slogan, when in Corinth, do as the Corinthians. <laughs> because the Corinthians do a lot of things that Paul should not do. They believe a lot of things that Paul does not believe. He's under the law of Christ. That means Jesus is his Lord. He's following Jesus. That means the gospel is his guide, not Corinthian culture. That's faithfulness, faithfulness. And then there's this third group he mentions, who he calls the weak. It's in verse 22, look at verse 22. He says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Uh, Paul talked about the, the weak back in chapter eight of 1 Corinthians. They were the ones with weaker consciences. They were easily influenced. If they saw stronger Christians eating meat sacrificed to idols, they might be led back into idol worship, which made them vulnerable, right? They were in danger of actually falling away from Christ. They were in danger of spiritual destruction. And Paul says to the weak, I became weak. He changes it up here. He doesn't say I became as the weak. He says I actually became Weak. I voluntarily emptied myself. I set aside my preferences. I set aside my freedoms and took on their way of life. That's flexibility. And in doing so, he was choosing to live like Jesus. He was choosing to, to walk in the way of Jesus. That's faithfulness, right? Faithful flexibility. The second half of verse 22 captures, summarizes all of this. It says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. In other words, Paul is using his freedom to make himself a servant to everyone so that the gospel will advance to more and more and more people. Galatians 5, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love, Serve one another. That's what he's doing. Faithful flexibility. How do we apply this, this method in our context? How do, how do we live this out? Um, I came across something helpful uh, this week uh, from St. Augustine. Augustine uh, described Paul's method here as thinking sympathetically. And Augustine said, a person, a person who nurses a sick man becomes, in a sense, sick himself. Not by pretending to have a fever, but by thinking sympathetically how he would wish to be treated if he were sick 
himself. If you're helping your sick spouse or friend, you're not like, oh, I have a fever too. No, you're thinking sympathetically about what do they need. That's exactly what we've got to do if we wanna become all things to all people. In our culture today, we interact with different groups of people that are very similar to the ones that Paul interacted with at Corinth. In our culture, we have the religious, we have the irreligious, and we have who I would call the wavering, the wavering. The religious are the churched people, the traditionalists. The irreligious are those who are more secular in their thinking. They don't have any particular religious background. And the wavering are those who are more uncertain, more unstable in what they believe. And the question is, can we think sympathetically about each of these types of people? Like, can we see the world through their eyes? Can we get in their shoes? Like what might unnecessarily offend certain people or alienate certain people? Like, for instance, I, I might lose my audience with certain religious traditionalists if I wore shorts to church or if I ordered a beer before my meal, even though I am totally free in Christ to do either of those things. The question is, should I? Should I in certain contexts? I might alienate someone who is irreligious if I load up my conversation with Christian jargon, with theological buzzwords that they've not heard before. Even though I'm free to talk like that, should I in certain contexts? Or should I adapt my language in a way that it could be better understood? What might be harmful to certain people that's not harmful to me? It's possible that my behavior would lead someone who is wavering back into addiction, back into idolatry, right? What questions do certain people wrestle with? The irreligious might wanna know how belief in Jesus makes the world more just, more kind. That's a good question. We should think about the answer to that question. The wavering might be struggling with how Jesus can be the only way to God and they're, they're wrestling with real doubt about that question. And it's a good question and we ought to think about it. With all of these groups, we've got to think about how the gospel intersects their questions, their hopes, their dreams, their longings, their aspirations. Can we talk about Jesus in a way that they understand? Listen, this doesn't mean that we should ever soft sell the gospel or shortchange truth in, in any way. We're not called to water down God's word. What this is saying though is let the only thing that brings offense in a conversation, in a relationship, let the only thing that brings offense be the gospel itself, the gospel of Christ crucified and, and resurrected. Don't let the way we exercise our freedoms, the way we talk, the way we act, be the thing that alienates. Paul's method is faithful flexibility. That's how he uses his freedom to advance the gospel. But he doesn't just give us a method, he also gives us a mindset. And I think it's a mindset that is non-negotiable if we're gonna use our freedoms for the advance of the gospel in the world. Look, look at verses 24 to 27. You see the mindset that he, gives, that he gives here. Verse 24, he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Run in a way that you might win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly. 
I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The mindset that Paul is talking about here is the mindset of self-discipline, self-control. Now, a lot of these are probably familiar verses to many of us, and a lot of times these verses get used to talk about how we need personal discipline in order to run the race of the Christian life, which is true in one sense. The spiritual disciplines are vitally important to our growth in Christ. But in context, these verses are not really talking about our individual progress in the faith. The context of these verses is the progress of the gospel in the world to win more and more people to Christ. And so what Paul is saying is if we're gonna use our freedom to be a part of advancing the gospel, it's gonna require a mindset of self-discipline. And Paul uses an athletic metaphor here, which the Corinthians would have totally resonated with because in Corinth, every two years, they hosted the Isthmian Games, which was very much like the Olympics. Uh, and the Isthmian Games would come to Corinth and the Corinthians, the, the Corinthians loved competition. They were like most in Roman culture. They loved competition. They loved to win. But they knew for an athlete to win, an athlete had to train. Paul says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, self-discipline in all things, meaning they give themselves to difficult things and they abstain from other things because they're training to win. My wife, Amy, used to train uh, for marathons. She's run uh, a number of marathons in, in her life. And uh, Saturday mornings, uh, when she was training were her, long, her longest runs and Amy would get up and she would leave the house and she'd go on a run. And then shortly after that, my little girls would get up and me and the girls would have breakfast. And usually on Saturdays, we would eat donuts or Eggo waffles. Uh, sometimes we would have both. Uh, that, that, that was our training table uh, that we were working through on Saturdays. That was our buffet. And... Um, and then maybe we'd laze around the house or maybe the girls and I would go do, run a couple of errands. Uh, all the while, Amy's out there running. We come back to the house and uh, I might like lay on the couch and catch the beginning of a college football game. All the while, <laughs> Amy's out there running. And then lunchtime, noon or so, I'd go in the kitchen and, and uh, make a sandwich and start to eat lunch. And then Amy would finally come home and she had been running that whole time and I was already on my second meal. Um, and I remember thinking, why would anyone run that long? <laughs> what a terrible way to spend a Saturday morning or any morning, right? She was doing it because she had a greater prize in mind. She not only wanted to finish her marathon, she wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon, which she ended up doing. But if she was going to get that prize, she needed a mindset of self discipline. Right? Paul says in verse 25 that athletes train like this so they can win a perishable wreath, a perishable crown. At the Isthmian Games, the victor's wreath was made of withered celery. The only thing worse than celery is withered celery. Right? It's like, hey, congrats on your win. I know you've given up dessert and alcohol and going out and everything fun. You've puked your guts out training. Good work, good on your hard work. Congrats on your victory. Here's like some withered, here's some rotten vegetables. 
Athletes give up their freedoms for a perishable prize. Paul is saying, how much more should we give up our freedoms for an imperishable prize? Like we're living for the victory of the gospel. We're living for the glory of Jesus to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. We're living for the prize of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation coming to know Jesus and worship him. That's our prize. And so Paul says, I don't run aimlessly like I've got no sense of direction. I don't box like I'm beating the air, like I have no target. I discipline my body and make it my slave. See, Paul is saying the body is not the enemy of the spiritual life. The body is not the enemy of our mission in Christ. It's the vehicle by which we live out our mission to advance the gospel. So we discipline the body. Not for the sake of self-discipline. So we can be like, see how disciplined I am? No, but for the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I'm willing to give up certain freedoms like eating food offered to idols if it means the gospel good of others. I'm willing to deny myself. I'm willing to abstain. Because the Christian life is not about self-gratification. The, the Christian life is not about self-indulgence. It's about the glory of God and the good of others. In the last verse, in verse 27, Paul says that he does all this so that after preaching to others, he himself won't be disqualified. That word disqualified means shown to be as a counterfeit. Shown to be inauthentic. Like, hey, you talked a big gospel game, but you weren't really in the game of gospel advancement. The gospel wasn't really driving you, even though you could kind of talk the game. I think we need to ask, what would it look like for us to have a mindset of self-discipline for the purpose of advancing the gospel? And I don't just mean individually, I mean corporately. Like this is not just individual disciplines. Paul is calling the church to live like this, right? So what do we need to give up or sacrifice as a church in order to better advance the gospel? What preferences, what comforts, what freedoms, what opinions on secondary issues do we need to give up for the gospel good of others? What do we need to give ourselves to as if we're in training for something? Like what do we need to invest in that's hard? Not just investing our money. We do that really well as a church and it's pretty easy for us to write the checks. You know, we, we do it well. I'm talking about investing our time and our effort in something that's difficult. Maybe it's investing in a vulnerable population where we have to navigate complex things that don't, we don't easily understand. So we need the discipline of learning to understand this complexity. Maybe it's immersing ourselves in another culture or engaging people with other worldviews, which will require the discipline of flexibility and humility and study we have been, according to what Paul's saying in this letter, we have been set free in Christ. And just like Paul, we're called to use our freedom, not to serve ourselves, but to advance the gospel. And listen, here's the good news. We can actually do it. We can actually do it because Jesus did it first for us. Jesus was free from all, but he made himself a servant to all. Jesus was strong, but he became weak. Jesus laid aside his privileges that we might win the prize, that we might join with him 
in winning the prize. The communion meal uh, is a weekly recap uh, of these great truths, isn't it? The, the communion meal, which we're about to have together, uh, reminds us of Philippians chapter two. Philippians two says, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to death on a cross. This meal reminds us of Romans five, which says, while we were still weak, who's the weak? We are. While we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He gave up his freedom to win the weak. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, we know that as he shared a meal with his friends, he took bread and he blessed it. He gave, he gave thanks for it. And after he had blessed it, uh, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, he took a cup of wine and he said to his friends, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood shed for you. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gave himself to gain us, to win us. He did it for our good and for the glory of God. And we worship and celebrate that uh, when we take this meal together. Let's thank him for this meal. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.